Luke 17. This is the word of the Lord, beloved. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. If you have ever uttered a prayer to God for something good, keep me safe, heal me, provide for me, you believe in at least some measure in the power of God, or you wouldn't pray to God. How do you know that your relationship with God is not God is simply there to give you what you want versus you're in a relationship with God to give God what he wants. It's a very important distinction. How do I know that I belong to God on God's terms versus I simply want God in my life, and I am ultimately manipulating God for my own means. This story about Jesus cleansing the ten lepers answers that question for you, and I'll give away the answer. Your posture before Jesus says it all. So let's examine three questions in this story that help you discern whether you're in a relationship with God for God to serve you or you're in a relationship with God for you to serve God. First question. Should these lepers cry out for good things? Look at verse 12. The ten lepers stood at a distance. Presumably, they're in a colony. They're isolated. Leprosy was a highly infectious, contagious disease. They were cordoned off in a life. They stood at a distance and cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, if you lived in ancient Israel, this wouldn't be the only time you heard a leper crying out. They were required, if you got near to them, required by Levit Leviticus 13, they were required to cry out, unclean, unclean, that told you you were nearing someone you needed to stay away from. And what do they cry out for? Mercy. They're not asking Jesus 
to have mercy on their sins. They are crying out for deliverance from social, physical, and economic destitution. Lepers were outcasts. They were hopeless. They were futureless. Kids, if you were a leper in a leprous family, you didn't go to school. You didn't do sports. You didn't go to the prom. You didn't go to the mall. You wouldn't need a cell phone. You couldn't call anybody. This was a lifelong sentence in a community of isolation with no hope of parole. So they beg for mercy. Should they have? Would you have? Of course. Absolutely. You were built, beloved, for health, for vitality, and thriving. Sickness is a sin-induced intrusion into God's beautiful, pristine creation. It bugs us to be broken. We hate it when we don't thrive. We hate it when things don't work, not least our bodies or our minds. How many of you woke up this morning and said, Dear Lord, I pray today that I get sick. I want to fail today. I want to be rejected today. That doesn't even occur to you. Because you're wired for thriving. Here's the bigger question. Do you have a right to demand health, wealth, and vitality? Can I say to God, Lord, I understand that this world is fallen, and since Adam and Eve rebelled against you, and they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, paradise was forfeited, everything about this life suffers under the curse, everything suffers under futility and frustration, do I have a right to beg God to be exempt from that? Sometimes I think that way, but not with a biblical mind. Biblically-minded people believe that everything you have is by the grace of God. The very breath He gives you, the beating of your heart, your taste buds, the enjoyment of food, your digestive system, the ability to work, to laugh, to play, to think, to see, to hear. It's all tokens of God's goodness to you. You confessed earlier in the service uh, out of Psalm 145, the Lord is good to all. He opens his hand and he satisfies the desire of every living thing. If you have ever in your life had any satisfaction with anything, God gave it to you. Stunning. Amazing. We live by the hand of an irrepressibly good and gracious God. And so what does true apprehension of those gifts produce? It doesn't produce a demanding spirit. It produces gratitude. Second question. I'm trying to help you discern if your belief in God is transactional, you're in my life for you to give me what I want, or it's true faith. You're in my life that I might give you everything you deserve. Second question. Should you express your gratitude to God in some fashion. Now, according to the story, Jesus is evidently concerned with how the ten men express their sense of blessing. 
he makes it public <laughs> because out loud, Jesus asks a number of questions to call attention to the lack or presence of gratitude in their hearts. What's the first question? Were there 10? What's the answer? Yes, go to the head of the class. Second question, did only one return this foreigner? Answer, only one returned. Now, this foreigner, this is a Samaritan. Jews and uh, Samaritans had hostilities between themselves. Apparently, Jesus is passing between Galilee and Samaria. This is a, a border colony that was made up, apparently, of Jews and Samaritans. Now, there's a very important distinction I want you to see here. The nine lepers went off to have themselves certified clean by the priest. That's what Jesus told them to do. And evidently, they believed in the power of Jesus' word to heal them because they, they sacrificed the risk of making their lives public to go to the priest. They believed in his power to heal is that a good thing? It is. You need more than that. Some of you believe in God's power to provide. You pray for safety when you drive. You pray for your daily bread. You pray for God to help you on an exam. Help me recall all the things I remembered. You pray his blessing and protection on your children. You should do all of those things. But none of those things, in and of themselves, make you right with God. You need a faith that is, I'm absolutely acceptable in the sight of God faith, and all those things you trust God for aren't that. You need what Bill Wilder taught this morning in the Sunday School Hour, please get the tape on the life of the Apostle Paul, because among other things, Bill taught us about justifying faith trust that what jesus promised to do for helpless sinners live perfectly in their place die the sins uh, die the death their sins deserve when you trust that god says you're accepted we're reconciled i demand nothing more of you because jesus gave it all you need that kind of faith and if you've never expressed that to jesus this is the day to do that. Ask Jesus to save you from your sins. So, nine of the lepers had miracle-believing faith, but not saving faith. Jesus says, were there ten? Yes. Did only one come back to see me? Yes. And what's his third question? Where are they? See, Jesus is challenging the people with an earshot to make a very spiritual assessment of this situation. Now, when Jesus says, where are they? He doesn't mean, are they on JPA or Main Street or University? Are they on Fontaine Avenue? That's not what Jesus means. What is, where does Jesus expect them to be? You tell me. Where does he expect them to be? At his feet. Now, you're standing by and you've heard all this, and, and you're like scratching your head a little bit. Jesus, didn't you just tell them to go to the priest? Oh, he did. But clearly, he expects all ten to be at his feet. 
So you're one of the men, this would have been me, I'm sure, who's running to the priest to get my passport back into society stamp. I can't wait to be normal all my life. I dreamt what it would be to go to the mall, to go to the, the athletic events, to hike in the mountains, to visit with my friends all my life. Finally, it's the attitude is, okay, this is good. On with life now. Let's get going on what's really meaningful. Do you think it's possible that something good stood in the way of something that was best? Judaism was a forward-looking religion. Through the prophets, everyone in the Jewish community understood that there was an expectation and in, an in, excuse me, anticipation of an epic coming, the messianic age, when diseases would be removed, particularly this one, and salvation would come from the hand of God. For example, Isaiah 53, verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried away our sorrows. Interestingly, Matthew, in his gospel, chapter 8, verse 16, uses that verse to explain to you the meaning of all these miracles that Jesus is doing, these healings. Matthew writes, that evening they brought to Jesus many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. And now Matthew gives the, the biblical interpretation of the meaning and the fulfillment of this when he writes, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. It is extremely likely that the lepers would know of that promise. They would be looking forward to that promise. And therefore, at least shouldn't they check out the source of the miracle? Wouldn't you have at least like, okay, go to the priest. Wait, he just declared me clean. Wait, well, I better check out the source of the miracle. That's what Jesus expects. So why didn't they? As I said, they wanted relief more than they wanted to worship. We do this, don't we? We get in a pinch, we cry out to God. We're sick, we ask for healing. We're destitute, we pray for deliverance. We have a need, we pray for help. And we receive it from the Lord's hand. And then what do we do? We forget about God. We go on living as if we were sovereign. We, we do it. We're not exempt from this temptation. And so you see, isn't that evidence that I want God on my terms and that my heart has far more ingratitude and demanding spirit than true worship? If I don't have time to stop and to worship, do I really want God on my terms versus his? Okay, last question. What are we doing? We are allowing this text to save ourselves from a very precarious way of living. And that is, are you in a relationship with God fundamentally for God to give you what you want? You want God on your terms, not his? Or are you in a liberating relationship with God so that you, you've already sung, I'll do anything you want me to do. You've already sung it over and over again. I'll do anything you want me to do. Two very different ways to live. Third question, what are indicators of true faith? There are two in the text. Praise and posture. First, praise. Verse 15. When he saw 
that who is healed, this is the one in ten, turn back, praising God with a loud voice. How do you account for this loud voice? Pretty simple. The magnitude of the blessing matches the intensity of the adoration. So when the team gets a first down, yay, first down. When the team kicks a field goal with no time left on the clock to win the game, it's yay. That's the difference. I'm not referring to anything that happened two miles from here, but just... So, beloved, religion isn't a private matter. He's making his faith very public. And God gives you the same privilege. I am not saying go walk around the corner screaming Jesus is Lord, screaming you're all going to hell if you don't do this or that. I am not advocating that. But I would encourage you, every single day to ask the Lord for an opportunity to respond to someone who may ask you, why are you that way? Why do you do that? Why do you not do that? Why is your life marked by that? Because presumably you're living in a way, speaking in a way, acting in a way that may incur attention from other people. Pray that the Lord will put people in your life who will ask you about that and you can say, could I take just a second to explain why? So if you stop to help somebody change a tire or what, just a, a, an act of kindness and they say, well, why did you do this for us? Well, let me tell you, I'm so loved by Jesus. He's done so much for me. It's my pleasure to do this. Pray every day that God would give you an open door to make something about your faith known to another person. Praise. And then finally, an indicator of true faith. Posture. Verse 16. He fell on his face at the feet of Jesus. That is the place healing puts us. That is the place we are most human. That is the place of humility. He fell on his face at the feet of Jesus. That's the place this healed leper belonged. That's the place from which to start a life. He went on his way healed. We are seeking to teach your children in this church that they begin a life and they live a life every day First and foremost, at the feet of Jesus. It's a posture of submission, lordship, belonging. I'll do anything you say. I am here to serve you. You, God, don't exert, exist to serve me. How do you know you're really at the feet of Jesus and not some fictional conjuring of your own imagination? How do you know you're really there? You experience an extraordinary sort of discordance in your soul. You experience discomfort and comfort. At the feet of Jesus, seeing who Jesus is truly as he reveals himself to you in his word, what are you going to experience? Oh, 
oh my goodness, I am not that. Now, if you've never had that experience, you've never seen the real Jesus as he, ex- as he reveals himself to you in his word. Because you look at the real Jesus and you go, he is sinless, I'm not. He is holy, I'm not. He loves God perfectly, I don't. He is humble, I'm not. He's worthy of praise, I'm not. This is what theologians call conviction of sin. There's a moment of wrecking, of discordance, of discomfort. I'm not everything I thought I was. I had to tear down my mind this pretension of being a good person. Discomfort. Oh, don't stay there. Look up, and what do you see? The love of God. Jesus Christ crucified for you. Jesus Christ who gives himself for you. Jesus Christ who is the fountain of all of God's blessings. Look up at Jesus. There's comfort because in Jesus all truth, all wisdom, all beauty, all goodness, all grace, there it is for you because God gives you his son. And you see this Jesus, oh is he a better priest than the ones the nine ran off to see. Jesus is a far better priest because when you look up at Jesus, this is the priest who says, I made you. I formed you in your mother's womb. No priest could say that. Jesus says, I understand your struggles, your temptations, your weakness. I've been there. Jesus is the priest who became rejected and an outcast. You know, when he sat on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He might as well have been saying, unclean, unclean. Jesus was unclean, bearing your sins in his body. Jesus offered a one-time sacrifice for your salvation that the priests never could. Jesus just doesn't stamp your passport back into society. Beloved, he makes you by his work absolutely perfect and clean forever into the presence of God. Look up. There he is on the cross for you. And we've talked, Jesse talked earlier about his nail-pierced hands. There's the guarantee you're forever forgiven. The sins were nailed there. They'll never condemn you again. And he showed his disciples a resurrected, glorified body. That is your future, a glorified body. Look up at Jesus, and you see the love of God. And so what what does a true apprehension of these nail-pierced hands do for you? It opens yours. Oh, it opens them. And so now you are intentional and serious and deliberate about taking God's gifts on whose terms? His. Because if he loved you enough to give you a son, of course the way he wants you to use those gifts can only be good for you. You'll take those gifts and you will use them. You will be a good steward. And if you're new to Trinity, And parents of fellows, let me tell you this about this flock of God's people. They have open hands. They work. They give. They love. 
they host fellows, they prepare coffee, they use their gifts to lead us in service. This is a body of people who for over 40 years have seen the nail-pierced hands for them smitten by this grace and have lived day in and day out. They have lived to the glory of that Savior. If you're new to Trinity, please stick around long enough to experience these brothers and sisters who've done that. And so it's no wonder the New Testament calls you a royal priesthood because you belong to that Jesus. I want to pray for you. Thank you for the brothers and sisters and the children of Trinity Presbyterian Church. The objects of the dying and rising love of the Lord Jesus Christ, our great and faithful and unfailing high priest, you became unclean to make us spotless and blameless in your Father's eyes. What a gift! What grace! And Lord, it does open our hands. So may we see with the eyes of faith the faith that heals, the faith that justifies, the faith that sends us on our way. May we see with the eyes of faith the nail-scarred hands of the risen Christ and be utterly transformed by this mercy. For his sake, amen.